Radio. Social Media and the Body. A talk by Owen Viner. Social media might be making us less social. Okay, so we'll get started. Now, just by way of clarification, when I speak to people regarding the theology of the body, for the most part, I receive some sort of confirmation that people have at least heard of it. And the popular consensus as to what the theology of the body relates to is this. It deals with teenage chastity and not using contraception if you are married. So, if you're chaste and you're not married, you're a priest or studying to be a priest, then you don't need the theology of the body. Okay. Now, there are all sorts of reasons for this, and I don't want to go into that right now. But what I do want to just express very briefly is the fact that the theology of the body is fundamentally a way of understanding what it means to be a human person. As I mentioned, it's theological anthropology. And a human person who is called to live in an existence of communion with others, with God first and with others, with other persons. So then the theology of the body is about who God is. First, it's a theology. It's about God. And then it's about who we are and how we're meant to live. As I mentioned at the beginning, I want to apply the theology of the body to the issue of social media and then related to this mobile technology. And in saying so, I do not want to appear as a grumpy old man who is anti-technology. <laughs> I am not anti-technology. I use it every day and I'm thankful for it, although I am deeply suspicious about it. And I might point out that I'm not the only one who is suspicious about it, and it's not because I'm old and grumpy, which I happen to be anyway. <laughs> and also to say from the outset, too, that I do not believe that social media is the sole cause of every social ill in the world today. There are other significant factors. There's the breakdown of the family. <coughs> there is a hyper-individualism and consumerism. There's fundamentalist atheism. There's dualistic views of the human person, to name a few. The challenges that we are facing today, they are considerable and they are legion. All that I'm hoping to do this afternoon is to shed some light on the impact of social media on interpersonal relationships. So, what is social media? This here is the benchmark definition. Social media has been broadly defined to refer to the many relatively inexpensive and widely accessible electronic tools that enable anyone to publish and access information, to collaborate on a common effort, or build relationships. So it's about information, it's about working together, and it's about building relationships. And there are various, various responses to the whole question of technology more broadly understood. Some people argue that technology, it's, it's just neutral. It's a tool. It's neither good nor evil in itself. What determines its morality is how you use it. Okay. And then there are others that think technology is a great good. They advocate laptops and tablets for all children. And by this, I mean tablet computers for all children, not medication. We hear continually from our politicians that we need to keep up with the digital revolution or we'll be left behind. And then there is the campaign to ensure that everyone on the planet has the internet by 2020. 
As Mark Zuckerberg is reported as stating, when people are connected, we have a chance to build a common global community with a shared understanding. So despite the hope of some that the internet will bring world peace, there are a significant number of interesting studies that have been published recently that might make us reassess the relative value of mobile technology and social media. Now I'm just going to mention three. The first area is in what we call neuroplasticity. So I just had a whole group of people just turn up at this point, and I've thrown the word neuroplasticity out there. No, this is as hard as, as this talk is going to get. Okay. So this idea of neuroplasticity is this. We used to think that the brain stopped developing in young adulthood. But now we're finding that our brains continue to develop throughout our lives. In fact, our brains are being physically rewired by technology. This study says that the effect of this rewiring, they're not good or bad in and of themselves, but it simply confirms that with even moderate internet use, the human brain is changed. The second study is this, and it's an article written for the CIA in America, where two academics have noted that the rewiring of the brain has actually negatively affected our capacity for sustained concentration, deep thinking, and creativity. They argue that this was presenting a genuine threat to national security. CIA analysts, after all, need to be able to concentrate and to process data for long periods of time. Instead, this study found that in terms of how we engage information, that we tended to read less of a given piece, that is, we just skim read now, and that our attention quickly shifts from site to site where we try to juggle different activities, that is, we multitask. Interestingly, studies are also showing that human beings cannot multitask. We can certainly do many things at once, we just can't do them well. The outcome of all of this, this study says, is that it makes us more shallow and distracted. And then finally, there is a book on the effect of mobile technology on our ability to engage in basic conversation with others. In particular, the author warns about the impact of smartphones as a disrupting influence on our capacity for solitude. They disrupt our capacity to be alone. We have begun to see solitude as a disease that must be cured, an experience that must be escaped at, from at all costs, a modern form of existential leprosy. And yet, it is precisely when we are alone that our minds begin to play with ideas, to be imaginative, to dream. When we are alone, we also ask questions about who we are, what we have done with our lives, for better or for worse, where we are going, and what do other people think about us. We come to our understanding of who we are when we are alone, when we are in solitude. And from there, then, we begin to understand our relationship with others, which in then turn deepens our sense of self. So being alone is critical. One last point about this. So much of our relationships with others involves learning how to negotiate the complexity of friendship or being in a family. There are many unscripted moments in life that can bring both joy and sorrow. However, with the technological mediation of relationships, we can be protected from many of these subtleties with a delete or a backspace button. 
At the same time, in these virtual encounters, we learn the nuance of the person's reaction as to what we have said. As the author of this study notes, our relationships have become safer, but they've also become poorer. All of this because we've lost our capacity for solitude. Moreover, the rewiring of our brains has made us more superficial and preoccupied. Now, I am aware of the irony that I've researched and written this talk using technology. In fact, I could not have done so without access to the internet. So, again, I'm not saying that we should throw everything away and just return back to writing slates in chalk. In order to understand where I'm going with this, we need to return to that definition of social media that I gave at the beginning. And again, social media was defined as the many electronic tools that enable anyone to publish and access information, to collaborate on a common effort, or build relationships. And it's the building of relationships that I want to now analyze in the second part of my talk. So, what I'm going to propose here is that the body is a social medium. The body is a form of social media. And this is the insight of St. John Paul II's thinking about what it means to be human. In all of his writings, he saw that the body reveals the person and that the person is made to be social, to exist with others, to be in communion with others, first with God, but then also with other human beings. So the body is, properly speaking, social. That is related to society or communion, and it is a socially building medium. It is a way of establishing and creating society or communion. This is why I will say that the body is a social medium. Now I have to make two important clarifications about this. First, not only is the body a means of building society or communion, that is, not only is it a social medium, the body is also a social sacrament. That, then, is the deepest meaning of the body, the body male and female. By that I mean this, the body is an outward sign of the invisible call to exist in communion with others. So the body, then, is a social sacrament. It affects and is an outward sign of society, of communion. Secondly, and this flows directly from this, the body is a means of and has the deepest meaning of communion because it is a sign of the person. The body reveals the person. It is a revelation of who you are and of who I am. And it is a sign of our call to exist in relationships with other persons, to be in interpersonal relationships with others. So that is the meaning of being social or being in communion. Society is not just a random grouping of individuals with little connection to one another or who only have a passing interconnectedness. The society that the body creates and is a sign of is a communion between persons. It is in this way that the body is a form, in fact, I would say, the form of social media. That is because the body creates the possibility of an authentically human union between persons. 
Regarding then the ability of technological social media to build relationships, I am somewhat agnostic about this, specifically because the body has been bypassed in the building of relationships. The internet and social media are certainly effective in disseminating information, and this might well be information about persons. It could be what I like, what I'm interested in, my passions, my political causes, events that I've organized, an item that I need help crowdfunding. But in the end, it is only information about me. The information can give us the illusion that I know people. This information could have been co-opted, it could have been stolen, it could have been copied and pasted. But more basically, is this person that you're being informed about me? This information has been unhinged, disconnected from my person, and sent out without any context as data with potential for the masses to consume. Okay, now come to the last section of my talk. And in this section, I want to then ask what then makes interpersonal relationships, society, communion. I'm going to make three points about this. The first is solitude. My capacity, and more importantly, my willingness to be alone. It is okay to be alone and to be quiet for certain times during the day. We will not die if we turn off our mobile devices or do not look at them every few seconds. When I am alone, I can come to an understanding of who I am as a person in my radical uniqueness. It is the discovery of my identity, what is irreducible about me, and my origins. This knowledge and awareness of my identity and my origins is fundamental. Where do I come from? Where am I going? And this is the crucial element. I need to be able to be alone before God to come to know who I am before God. And I can come to know the Father by spending time with the Son, who has revealed the Father. So prayer, reading the Bible, the sacraments, are all ways that I encounter Christ and the Father who he came to reveal. When I know Christ, then I know who I am as one who is loved and redeemed. No matter what others may say about me, no matter what others have done to me, no matter what society says about me or how I should live, if I know Christ, then my life has meaning and it has value. He is the one who has revealed that in my deepest nature I am a son or daughter and that I come from and am made for love. I am more than information about me or from me. And that's my first point. Allowing myself to be alone with Christ and to know him. That is the starting point of authentic human relationships. Here's my second. I need to have the capacity and the depth to be fully present to another. To really engage him or really engage her. To listen. To genuinely care for. To see this person as one who is also loved by the Father. Redeemed in Christ and made to be sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, and never as a means to an end. How many times do we talk to people and we know that they are simply not listening? They're distracted. They're thinking about what they're going to say next, or they're just not interested. I know that many times in conversation with people, I feel this pressure to say what I need to quickly, 
Because either A, I'm going to lose the interest soon, or B, they're going to interrupt me. People just don't have that, that capacity for sustained presence. Just to sit and listen. Simone Weil once wrote, she's a French philosopher, attention is the rarest and the purest form of generosity. Attention is the rarest and the purest form of generosity. That's the end of the quote. When you're attentive to another, you are present to them. You're being generous to them because you're giving yourself. That's what you're giving in attention. You're giving yourself. That being said, welcoming the other and being present to them involves discipline. It's not easy. In this day and age, it's even harder. Despite the hundreds of millions of friends on Facebook, real friends are not easy to find because so few people have the desire and the ability to be alone. Being alone, however, gives us a depth and a confidence. When I'm comfortable with myself, then I can be available to another because I know who I am. And when you know who you are, then you can give. And you can give without worrying that they're going to take something away from you. This other, this friend then, can feel that freedom to open himself or herself up to me and I to her or to him. So my second point then, that, that depth and the confidence of being present to another. And then lastly, my last point is this. Only within the context of trust between friends can we have a proper understanding of relationships and to build an authentic communion of persons. Within the freedom of seeing another as a gift, as a unique person, in myself being seen and received as a person, does communion develop. So it takes time. Communion then is formed by my ability to be alone with Christ, by my receiving myself first as a gift, by being present to others who themselves are gifts to me. So we're going to conclude here. I'm not convinced that we can build relationships with social media. Social media is very good at disseminating information for mass consumption. If we were computers and or vampires, then I would say yes, social media is good at building those types of relationships. <coughs> so it's good if you're a computer at transferring information. It's good if you're made for mass consumption, such as a vampire. But those two categories excluded, it's not good at building human relationships. But because we're body persons, no authentic relationship can bypass the body and the person. The body, who you are, in its uniqueness, in your masculinity and your femininity, that is the authentic form of social media of building relationships. The goal is to enable ourselves to live as, as authentic persons, to be present to one another, and then we can use mobile technology in our relationships. But those relationships that are already there. But these relationships with social media must then be enriched through seeing, hearing, encountering them as real persons. And that's crucial, not just only in a virtual way. And I think we see that. Um, I have family members who live in other countries, and you're, you're FaceTiming with them or Skyping with them. So you see them, you see the reaction, but there are times where you don't, you hold back in the conversation because if the conversation gets too emotional, you want to hug them. And because you can't do that, you hold back. Okay, so the relationship is always stifled. I think the danger is that social media might have made us less social. 
and the studies are showing that it has. Despite being more connected than ever, we are more lonely and disconnected from true relationships. We have escaped from the body and from each other. We have substituted the virtual for the real. So as much as possible, we need to engage in the real. We must be really present to our friends. Jesus Christ himself, who is really present to us, okay, he's given us his real presence, has said, I have called you friends. And what did his friendship look like? He laid down his body for us. His body becomes the ultimate source of social media with him. His body builds the interpersonal communion that we call genuine friendship with Christ, that is the church. In this friendship with Christ, made possible by the real presence of his body, to us we become followers of Christ. Not as Twitter followers, of which Katy Perry has 77 million and Justin Bieber has 70 million. That is not how you follow Christ. The way that we follow Christ is this, take up your cross and follow me. That is how we follow Christ. Be willing to surrender yourself, your body, in friendship with Christ through the church, and to be present and surrender yourself in genuine friendship with others. Friendship is not the transfer of information, it is love for a particular person. That was Owen Viner with Social Media and the Body. And for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.